mother has taught, um, I'm teaching, my daughter wants to teach. Obviously it's something in our, our genes or, or what we've learned by living in this family about that teaching is very important, very rewarding. Teaching is just this wonderful profession where I get paid to go into a room with these amazingly intelligent and creative young women and discuss literature with them. I fantasize about being a professor at a small liberal arts college in New England. There you go. I think I, I became a chemist primarily because I had great chemistry teachers. I had a terrific high school chemistry teacher. And then in college, I, my chemistry professors from the start were, were really excellent. You react methane with oxygen, and it combusts to make CO2. I think in general it's important for students to gain confidence in their own ability to figure things out. As a woman scientist, I think that's particularly important. Women tend to experience the imposter syndrome, I think, more than men and feel that they aren't really as good as people think they are. And so I think it's really important to help students gain confidence from Chem 111 on. Um, I think we work as a department really hard because a lot of people come to chemistry very not confident about their ability in chemistry and people will say over and over again, I'm just bad at chemistry, which is probably not true. Chemistry is a big thing and you're probably not bad at everything. You know, my colleague Lolly Burke is really interested in the history of, of chemistry and science and I'll often get really interesting information from her to share about, you know, the historical background of some of these discoveries. When Kate and I taught for the first time together in our beginning introductory course. This was one of the best semesters I had at Smith. I looked forward to those classes. I learned new approaches to teaching and for instance she would do daily problem sets. If you are in music it's daily practice and if you don't do that daily practice you do not master the material. We had a, a history of we would do weekly problem sets so you would assign a problem set and it would be due on Wednesday. And the students would essentially forget about it until Tuesday night, and then they'd stay up till you know, 3 a.m. Wednesday morning, get it done, be really sleepy, come to class, and not really retain anything. Kate decided that that was not the best way for students to learn. The best way for them to learn was to work on chemistry every day. And that's been a huge shift in our department, and now because of Kate's creative thinking, um, we now do that in all of our intro classes in chemistry because we all see this is a much better way to get our students engaged. She asks us to write down our goals and she makes sure or to the best of her ability that those goals are accomplished. Step by step we came to understand chemistry by our own reasoning and not because we memorized something from the book or we learned how to use a formula, but we really didn't know what was behind it. But in her class, it was, oh yeah, that's what it is about, okay. I'm a biochemistry major, but after this semester with Kate, I, my interest in chemistry has just increased tenfold. And I was not at all a science student before I came to Smith at all, um, is that to have such a strong and funny and really intelligent female professor, and to have her be working with us and be sharing her lab with us is really cool and really important. There are sort of two main areas that my students have been working on in the lab. One area is um, understanding the chemistry of silicon surfaces. 
the applications there are microelectronics fabrication. So how do you make really perfect surfaces to grow the best possible transistors and integrated circuits when those devices get really, really small, um, even to the molecular level. The other area of research is understanding biofilm formation, so how biological organisms like bacteria stick to surfaces. And what we study is right now not the organisms themselves, but the molecules that they generally use to stick to surfaces, so large starch molecules um, and model proteins. I would have loved to have had her as a professor, as a chem professor. When we first started running together, she, of course, made cracks and remarks about differences in age and how I run pretty good for somebody who's so much older than she is. She would uh, make comments about how she's struggling in the pool with her swimming, but then at the same time, she would lap me three or four times in the pool. So, um, you know, very, very modest person with a good sense of humor, and that uh, I think that makes her special. Yesterday she went for a light bike ride or something, and it was 40 miles. Oh, my God. <laughs> is a beast. We did win the Smith 5K team title last year, you know, the Fast Chemists. P-H-A-S-T, the big H. It's fun to set goals and to try to improve its stuff. I enjoy that. It's challenging. It's always been, I mean, it's always been hard for me. I've never been, it's never been an effortless thing. But I always enjoyed trying to get better. That was a nice run. Thanks. Yeah. So what was your time? I think I just made it under 22. So I have two small children. Charlotte is six and a half and then just started first grade and Patrick is three and a half and just started preschool. My husband John teaches at UMass. My husband cooks dinner all the time. We should have that on tape. So he's the cook. Um, although I think I'm going to have to cook some this year. That developed when the children were over at Smith and so I would pick up the children and bring them home and he would go home and start dinner and have dinner ready. Mom, do I think I'm being very gum? I really do. You are, Patrick. pretty impressed. Yeah. I think we should have some videotape every dinner. I think so, too. So this is our new space, and when the students saw it, they were totally amazed um, because it's, it's bigger. Um, than our old space and it's just laid out so they can they can all work here at once. They can do experiments, they can analyze their data in the lab. I'm just always amazed at how talented she is in everything. Um, you know, from going to Williams, going to Harvard, doing uh, a Fulbright Fellowship in between. I mean, she is just an amazing scholar. And so I guess it's good that, you know, if I go out and play tennis with her, I realize that, you know, she, she's not great at everything. Neuroscience is obviously fascinating, but the truth of the matter is I could teach anything and be happy. It's the teaching that I love. My mother, my daughter, and I all went to Smith. My mother uh, graduated in 1950 as a zoology major, and she felt very privileged to be able to go to Smith because uh, financially it would have been difficult uh, for her to attend except for a 
a rich distant relative who we refer to as Cousin Eleanor was able to come up with some money so she could go to college. Now that's the science that's building. That's Burton Hall. Okay, that's where I spent a great deal of my time. I was a depression kid. I was so thankful that my dream of college materialized. Um, it was humbling. I didn't really realize that till I got here. I think it's a common thing of freshmen. I don't know if you felt it, but you come from being a big fish in a little pond to being the littlest fish in a big, big pond. Uh, it was very challenging. It was a great adventure. I was very much like my mother in terms of our academics. She was a, what I call a nerdy student, a science nerd. And I was the same way. And I was very shy at this point. I never thought I could get in front of a group of students or anybody. So I was a proctor, teaching assistant for introductory psychology and also a lab assistant for the experimental psych class. And in both of those, you had to either lead group discussions or help students in the laboratory. And I found that right away very rewarding. I was start, starting even then to think, gosh, I might like to do this. But if we flattened out the brain, okay, and we you know, took all those convolutions away and just stretched them out, this would be the surface area of your brain. It's about two and a half feet square. Now, would it be good to walk around with a head like this? <laughs> Could we get it through the birth canal? No. So evolution has sort of crumpled it up. Beth is so much the same person uh, now that she was then. And she was, from the beginning, just an outstanding student. When the position for the research methods uh, came open, and we often hired graduate students to teach that course, I just knew she'd be good at it because I'd seen her do it. The students really liked her then. They still do. <laughs> and I think a part of that is because she is just so interested in them. Her door is always open. She's always got students in her office. She advises many more majors in neuroscience and psych than anyone else in the, in the department and program. Are you thinking of a double major then, or a major and a minor? If you ask them about Beth, they say she really is invested in us, and she wants us to learn. She is so open that it makes it really easy to come to her and be open with your own questions or anxieties and she was very good to kind of help you realize in yourself that you know the answers or if you don't that she could help you and she put you on your own path. She has this acute ability to observe well and also this respect uh, that permeates everything she does I think and she, so she teaches by example in so many different ways not just in front of a class. So I volunteer at Dakin Animal Shelter, and I think almost everyone who volunteers there uh, goes home with a pet. The kittens, when the kittens come in, they are just really hard to resist, and they do go pretty fast. Um, their adoption rate is phenomenal. I learn a lot. I love animal behavior. That was my research interest anyway, so it sort of, it does link to um, what I do professionally, but to say I really like to mop a floor or do dishes sounds strange, but it's much different doing it there than doing it at home. The fact that Beth has all these amazing qualities and is interested in animals as well really got me interested in how I can connect that to what I want to do in life, and that is um, wildlife conservation.
pets are incredibly important to me. Very important part of my family. My younger daughter, Kelly, is uh, 18, just graduated from high school. Kelly and I took classes at, uh, it's called the Collard Scholar, and we took the, what's called agility for fun, and uh, Kelly works with uh, the small dog, the Klikai, and I work with Brewski, the, the larger dog. And I guess I also have to mention that my kids grew up at Smith, you know, in the infant center, in the campus school, in my office, so those memories are blended with Smith as well. So for me, um, I have my mother's heritage and experience, and I have my children's being here um, as both toddlers running around, but also as my older daughter, Amanda, being a student here and even a student in my classes. I also believe that a good teacher has to somewhat personalize the information, and this is something that my colleagues disagree with me on. You know, I bring in personal stories, and I think that's proper, appropriate. I think it nails down the information for students. Frontal lobes are relatively immature in teenagers. This is a problem because of the executive functions, the inhibition that the frontal lobe <laughs> provides. The first time I ever drank something, I won't tell you how old I was, but I will tell you that I drank an entire bottle, a jug of wine, and was incredibly sick for three days. Um, so that what it was is a lot of throwing up. So that's the immediate consequence. And then there's a delayed consequence. If you continue to drink, well, you, get, you have a hangover the next day, and then you can develop down the road not only an addiction, but uh, damage to you, your liver. But if you try to tell a teenager not to drink because it will damage your liver, is that very effective? No, and it's because they can't see the long-term consequences because their executive functions are not there. The students spoke with their feet. With the they go to the good teachers. She, she's challenging. She yeah. makes the students work. But she works very hard with the students to make sure they succeed. That makes a huge difference. There are all sorts of perks that people get for the research they do. You know, you, you publish it and you can hold it in your hand. You go to conventions and you get to talk about it. But you don't get the same kind of rewards from teaching uh, that you do for doing research. I'm not in a tenure-track position, um, and I'm actually glad because I, it gives me some freedom to do the things that I want to do, which is um, deal with students both in the classroom and outside the classroom as advisors. Sometimes when I'm having a bad day, I will pull out a letter that a student wrote me, and in that letter she said, uh, nobody told me I could learn neuroscience, nobody told me I could write uh, experimental research reports, and she, she was saying to me that I, I believed in her. Having an impact on their lives and their decisions and Feeling their appreciation um, of me is, I mean, what more could you ask for? I think I sort of fell into teaching. I, I think I got into academia because I love literature. And I mean, I've always, since I was a kid, I was just been a big bookworm anyways. I'm third generation Japanese American and my parents, when I was a child, had me go to Japanese language school on Saturdays with my sisters. And so you would think that I had learned Japanese there, but I actually fooled around a lot and didn't retain much. I mean, it wasn't until college when I decided that I really wanted to learn to speak Japanese. And in particular, one of the main reasons was to be able to communicate better with my grandmother who lived with us. So I took Japanese language 
when I was an undergrad at Berkeley. And then that kind of led to, oh, maybe I'll take some literature classes. And I really loved the literature classes. I really try to pick literary texts, short stories and novels and poetry that I think will be exciting or that I think will in, incite certain responses from the students, whether they really hate it or they really love it. And I'm going to start out talking a bit about Higuchi Ichiro and her life. In 1893, after working at the Haginoya for several years, she realized that she didn't simply want to be a maid and try to do her writing on the side. I lecture for a little bit of the time. The majority of class time is spent on discussion. And I think discussion is really important because it allows students to um, articulate themselves and their ideas, but also to engage with each other and with me. She really, really listens to her students. And the way you see that is the way she interacts with you and the way she um, really tries very, very hard to understand exactly what your point is. You said raw. I, I, want, I want to pursue that for a second. What do you mean raw? Everything's such a big deal to him. Like, oh, like he could sense Midori's like looking at her. He didn't have to even see her. He didn't know like what to do, like, oh my god, like I have shivers down my back. Shota is more like, I like you, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, talk to me. Will you want me to leave? Okay, I'll leave. I'll talk to you later. Shota is like the, the, the manga version, manga kid, and Nobu is like the, the television drama guy. Kind of. <laughs> Being in her classroom oh, is an opportunity to sit in the classroom with a master teacher. Her patience, the way that she steers a conversation, the way that she makes me think about literature and the other people in the class think about literature, we're so excited about it, we talk about it after class. Kim's research is in Japanese colonial literature, and this involves a literature that was written in Japan about the colonies, or also written in the colonies, really uh, Taiwan, uh, Korea, and Manchuria. Actually, a lot of our students are, who take her course are second or third generation, or sometimes first generation Chinese or Koreans, whose uh, families, whose grandparents perhaps have had the experience of living under Japanese, uh, the imperial uh, Japan, and uh, living as col uh, colonists in, in Japan. And it was a very difficult time and very unhappy time. So there's a, a certainly a great deal of sensitivity. The tact that I take with when we study colonialism is not so much just to be critical, but more to, to look at this as, look at what happened and say, how did this happen? How did people allow this to happen? How did, how did, how did this comfort women system come into being? How did all of these Chinese slave laborers get sent to Japan and exploited in this way? More recently in the past few years and working on the research on colonialism, I started thinking a lot about the positions of these Japanese writers in the colonies and the sort of instability that they experience um, was similar in some regards to the instability that Japanese Americans faced during World War II. My parents were interned in Tule Lake, and Tule Lake was the internment camp that many of the Japanese who refused to sort of swear allegiance to the United States were sent. My parents talked about camp which my sisters and I thought was summer camp for a while until we got older. They would talk about, oh, we did that in camp. I'm a Korean student. I have my advisor who is Japanese-American feminist. It just 
feels really、um, special for me, and my parents do too. <laughs> about the fact that I'm learning all this, you know, all these critical theories about、um, colonialism, you know, culture,、um, politics from this、um, Japanese American teacher. I came to Smith because this is a college where I could learn about gender and sexuality, and you know, pursue my interest in women's studies. But I also felt、um, my first year some, somewhat、um, conflicted about my positions here, where I belong. Do I belong to like the Korean community here, or do I belong to you know the the queer community here, or do I belong to the women's studies community here? And Professor Kono was very supportive of this process that I was questioning my identity. She was not afraid to、um, offer me advices from her personal experiences as well. I'm really proud to be her student. Yeah. It's very productive year for her. She got tenure. She her publication is coming up.、Uh, she had a baby. My son was born June twenty fourth. His name is Kai Kase Webster.、Um, Kai is. Means ocean in Japanese. He was born on the twenty fourth of June. Labor started in the afternoon of the day that I turned my manuscript into Palgrave. So I was done, and then I was walking around Target, and I thought, Oh, gee, I'm so tired. I must be tired from all the work from the manuscript. And I got home, and then I called my husband. I said, I think I'm going into labor. Hello, shy guy. Hello, shy guy. He gets me to to. Look at things from a new perspective. Not to say that my son is like a literary text in any way, but I think one of the things that I love about teaching literature, for example, is that you you get the privilege of reading or experiencing these new perspectives. I'm able to sort of get, take these Zen moments and sort of sit there with him and just enjoy his presence and his personality, whether he's fussy or he's smiling. So there's that kind of wonderful learning experience from him.